Welcome to the Redeemer Rockford Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. And right across from me, again, I have my good friend. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Colin Jones, JT's good friend. And today we're going to be talking about defending the faith. And so last night we had, I don't know, probably 80 80 students. We had a good amount of students last night. And we tackled um, a specific false belief system, um, which many of you will know, many people that fall into this belief system. And the whole goal of defending the faith is really to contrast Christianity from other worldviews or other false doctrines or other false uh, religions. And the goal is not only to do that, but to equip students um, in how to think rightly about the Bible, how to think rightly about uh, the doctrines that they hold to, and how to have gospel conversations, give them enough uh, tools to uh, to live out their faith and have gospel conversations with those that hold to these false teaching, and how to have a conversation, what specific truths to emphasize, and all those things. And the whole goal is I want to create at Redeemer Students and at Redeemer Church Broad, a culture of evangelism. And with this specific doctrine or belief system that we're going to be, that we tackled last night, we're going to tackle right now, is that many people, because they have friends and family that are part of this church, um, their love for those people, the sentimentality for those people, kind of clouds um, the fact that they may not believe in the true gospel and we need to be we need to love them enough to uh, share the good news with them i want to read a passage actually colin why don't you read this passage galatians right galatians paul is writing to this letter to the galatians and they are <laughs> man they're deviating from the gospel they're adding to the gospel and uh, saying that you, in order to be a part of the family of God, you need to also be circumcised. So they're adding conditions to the gospel. And so when you add or subtract from the gospel, you lose the gospel. And what's Paul's response here? Just right at the very beginning, if you want to read that. Yeah, in Galatians 1.6, Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should, or the Pope, we didn't say that, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Yeah, so Paul is very clear. I mean, many people would say, well, Paul, that you're not using loving language. You're, that your tone seems really sharp. And actually, later on Galatians, he said, I wish I was meeting you face to face so I wouldn't have to use this tone with you. Um, and remember, it is Jesus Christ writing through the Holy Spirit and through Paul. Paul is an apostle. He's speaking on behalf of Christ. And so his tone, um, his frustration, and his urgency with the Galatian church is from the Lord. It is of the Holy Spirit. It is that serious. Even what happened to Peter? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, was was uh, living like a Gentile with the Gentiles. But as soon as the Jews, James and some Jews, came back, and what did he what did he do? I know there's this there's this passage. Yeah, he threw the law back on, and he drew back. It says, but when when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. 
But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party, the law. They're trying to put the law back on. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But, Paul says, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Mm. So Paul calls him out on that. Yeah, and why don't we read, just continue reading, because this gets to the summary of Galatians and and really the core, the heart of the gospel, which we're going to be talking about today. Yeah. Verse 15 then says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Mm. And I want to start, so I wanted to start off with Galatians, just as you believers are listening, like this is life or, or death. And so I, yeah, I know that there's what what uh, some theologians call the 11th, watch out for the 11th commandment Christians, which is the thou shall be nice. <laughs> and, uh, there we're being loving we want to call out false teaching um but in the name of winsomeness and niceness sometimes people don't give the truth and we need to be like the holy spirit through paul and say no if someone is deviating from the gospel even peter the pastor of the jerusalem church the highest official there in the church even Paul goes and confronts him to his face because he's deviating from the gospel. I don't care if they're a celebrity Christian or a very popular speaker and written great books or have done really nice works or anything. If they're deviating from the truth of the gospel, we need to be, we should be astonished like Paul and we should go to them and confront them in love and with grace and truth. In order that they would be restored. In order that they would be restored, yes. Because not only are they in bondage if they're doing that, but they're leading others into bondage. We're talking about heaven and hell forever. And I know that if if you're listening, you're like, of course, I want none of my friends or family members to go to hell. But that's the stakes here. And so the false belief system that we tackled, you kind of already said it um, or mentioned it, hinted at it, is the Roman Catholic Church. Hmm. The Roman Catholic Church. Now, I want to make a distinction, Colin. I think this is really important, is that when we're about to, what we're about to critique is is Roman Catholic doctrine, Roman Catholic theologians, rather than the typical nominal Roman Catholic person that you know. Maybe you have family members that are. I do. Yeah. yeah. So what would you what would, what would be the distinction between yeah, well, why that's an important distinction? This question came up last night, I think, right? Which was like, what do we say to? There, there's there's two different types of people, perhaps, in the Catholic pews at a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. There's going to be people who embrace and fully affirm the doctrines of the Catholic Church, which have been toilsomely written out, and I have gone through... <laughs> and we have them. We will read them for yeah, you. Yeah, I've gone through the Canons of Trent and the second edition of the Official Catechism of the Catholic Church. So we have actual things that the Catholic Church believes. These are the doctrines of the Catholic and Church. And in order to be confirmed, you have to hold to these catechism, the, these question and answers pretty right. much. So yeah. who, if, if someone affirms the doctrines of the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. they cannot be saved. Mm-hmm. And they would, are not saved. And the yeah. things which they believe are literally the the almost perfect symmetrical opposite of the gospel that yeah. which we affirm. Yeah. But that's the, the argument we're going to make and I hope to show that we hope to show you that when right. we go through that. Yep. But then we have others who are perhaps nominal Catholics or Catholics in name. They're Catholicism or is cultural. a is a, just, is yeah. a big cultural thing. It's a traditional thing, right? Yeah. And so people are born into a quote-unquote Catholic family or yeah. which I is yeah, we see that all the time or or Even in nations our are 
Catholic nations mm-hmm. at times. And so there are people who are Catholic in name, nominal Catholics, mm-hmm. who may not affirm the doctrines of the Catholic Church. Or even know about them. Yeah. They're naive. Like what we're about to read right now, they, they don't even know. They may not even believe that. Right. I think we got a question last night, like, what do you say about Catholics that don't follow the Pope or whatever? I'm like, there are there are people that don't follow the Pope, but that <laughs> basically in their own doctrine, they say if no one comes under the authority of the Pope and his word, then <laughs> you cannot be saved. Like they teach that. Right. So they're not really Catholic then. Y- they're yeah, just Catholic yeah. in name. So if you're Catholic in name, you're not really Catholic. Yeah, people, I would just say they need to believe, trust in Jesus Christ, and believe on Him, and repent of their sins, just like any nominal Christian in the pews that we right, have in right. our church. So, but to affirm the doctrines of the Catholic Church, that's a whole other mm-hmm. thing. So, I want to be clear: many of you that are listening, you you have friends that have grown up in the Roman Catholic Church. Perhaps you have, and these people are really sweet. They've done a lot of social good. Um, they're the most trustworthy people that you know. Um, we're not attacking their character. <laughs> we we want to attack false doctrines, false beliefs, and we want to help um, you uh, give you some tools to help those nominal Christian Catholics to bring them out of that false church and into a Christ-centered, evangelical, gospel-affirming church. Because we know that that would be for their good and their family's good and be for God's glory. Yeah, Second Timothy says that we're to do all these things in order that God might grant them repentance mm. and that they might be led to the truth and know Jesus. Yep. Amen to that. And and when we're giving a defense of the faith, we want to do it with gentleness, right? Mm-hmm. But we're going to be true. We're going to say, we're going to give you the truth. And Paul does that in Gal- Just go and read Galatians if you're struggling with, wow, they're, they're very black and white. and very. I mean, just read Galatians <laughs> there. So we have biblical precedent. So why don't we, let's jump into it. We're talking about the Roman Catholic Church here. What does the Roman Catholic Church in their doctrinal standards believe? What do they hold to? Um, and then the next question we're going to go is, what does Protestant Christianity or evangelical Christianity? Just Christianity. Christianity believe. Let's make a distinction there. Um, so let's start with the first one. What does the yep. Roman Catholic Church believe? And I think you have four points. I do. Let's look at scripture first. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, second edition, says this, quote, Both scripture and tradition must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. Mm. What does that mean? So what is tradition in the Roman Catholic Church? By tradition, they're referring to uh, what the Pope has said, ex cathedra. So or his... It's called papal infallibility, right? Right. So what it means is when, when the Pope speaks— <laughs> ex-cathedra, um, it, it means that what he is saying is on as if God is saying it. It's right. on par with Scripture. Yep. Because in Catholic theology, the Pope sits in the place of Peter, and Christ gives Peter authority, all that mm-hmm. stuff. It's From Matthew 18. So not correct, Matthew but that's 18. their argument. Yeah. yeah. So, so they put tradition. That would be their councils. That would be the Pope's words. That would be... The practices of the church handed down throughout the ages are, what does it say about scripture and the traditions? They must be accepted and honored with equal sentiments of devotion and reverence. Must be. So there's no wiggle room there. Equal levels of authority. Okay, so, so scripture, so what happens when scripture and tradition, or the Pope's words, do not match up? Yeah, well, it's interesting. You would think because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is the author of Scripture and the Pope is supposed to be standing in the place of Christ that they wouldn't not match up, that they would agree all the time. But history would tell us otherwise. 
reading the canons of Trent would tell us otherwise and the Catholic Catechism would tell us otherwise, yeah. that they disagree quite often. Hmm. And whenever that happens, tradition, the words of the Pope, the word, the councils, the decrees of the church always take precedence over scripture. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's exactly what was Martin Luther's problem in the 1500s in Germany. He's a Augustinian monk. He's being trained in some of the, the best training to become a priest, <laughs> to become a, a lecturer in a Roman Catholic, in the Roman Catholic system. And he's starting to see that popes and councils, not only do they not agree with scripture, but sometimes two different popes have disagreed with one another. <laughs> so if they're speaking on behalf of Christ, who's right? Right? And see the conundrum there. And, uh, and so, again, like even the doctrine, let's just say, of purgatory. Why is that a doctrine that's affirmed by the Roman Catholic Church? Because councils and popes have declared it so, and they're speaking on behalf of Christ, which we don't see any of that doctrine in Scripture, clearly. That's just one example. Or the worship of Mary yeah, <laughs> as well, who called herself a sinner in Luke chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Um, or is it Luke chapter 1? Anyways, so this is a big problem. Is Scripture and tradition are equal, but in a head-to-head fight over the centuries, the critique of the Roman Catholic Church is that tradition has stood over, over Scripture. And so when they were confronted by Martin Luther and by many others after that, They've still held to their convictions. In fact, they've doubled down on them. So let's conti- let's continue on what they believe about salvation. Yeah, then. let's go to the second point now. Uh, salvation, and this has to do with the work of Christ. Uh, the Again, the official catechism of the Catholic Church is what this is coming from. It says this, quote, Justification is not only the remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the inner man, end quote. Could you hash that out for us? Because those are some big words. So justification is the forensic or legal act of God acquitting us before the tribunal or the judge. It's it's him saying, I declare you right. So if you if I were a guilty sinner and I came and stood before a judge for committing a wrong, Mm -hmm. and they went through all the evidence and they saw that I was innocent, the judge would declare me, You are innocent, right? And so they're saying that's justification. Sanctification is the process by which you're being set apart from the defiled world. It is sanct- to be sanctified, is to be consecrated, is to be cleansed, is to be washed. And so let's so let's read this slowly again. Yeah, let's look at it again. Justification, okay, the the declaring that you are righteous is not only the remission of sins, forgiveness of sins but also the sanctification and renewal of the inner man. So sanctification is the process by which you're becoming more and more holy. Progressive, right? So what they're saying is that justification is not a declarative act by God saying you are righteous. It's saying no justification, which starts actually at baptism in the Roman Catholic Church. You have to be baptized as an infant. That's the first step of justification. That's the removal of original sin. And then you have to continue on doing works and and, and uh, uh, taking part in the other sacraments mm-hmm. in order to become uh, literally righteous, so sanctified. You will not be declared righteous unless you actually have inherent righteousness. So basically what it's saying is justification is by works. Right. So which goes against the 
the Christian Church, which we will explain in a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that's just the Catholic doctrine. That's the Catholic side. So yeah. uh, third point. So justification is not a declarative act. It's a process by which you need to become more and more holy. According to Catholicism. According to the Roman Catholic doctrine. Yep. So that sums up that second. Third point is I have canon... 19 here and canon 9 from the canons of trent i'm going to read maybe i'll read them both we'll see canon is just a declarative statement yep yep if anyone saith or says that nothing besides faith is commanded in the gospel that other things are indifferent neither commanded nor prohibited but free or that the ten commandments no wise appertain to christians let him be anathema that word anathema means damned damned right yeah and then let me read canon 9 real quick and we'll talk about it says this, if anyone says that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. Okay. Let's break down the first one. Yeah. Colin, why don't you break it down for us? So uh, in the first canon, canon 19, which we looked at, it says that, beside, that if anyone says this, that nothing besides faith is commanded in the gospel. So if I say you are saved by faith, all you need to do is trust in Jesus and you will have eternal life. The Catholic Church says if you say that, you're damned. That I did hear that. It's an anathema. Okay, keep reading it though. Uh, that other things are indifferent, neither commanded nor prohibited, but free, or that the Ten Commandments no wise appertain to Christians. Okay, which we would believe that the Ten Commandments do apply to Christians. Right. Uh, every Reformed Protestant would agree with that right maybe there's some differences on the sabbath but, but that is that's not how we come to god yeah and what they're saying is that this basically says that you come to god through faith and good works that's mm-hmm. what it's saying it mm-hmm. says faith plus a little bit more mm-hmm. whatever you can do cooperation it's synergism so, i like the second one better actually canon yeah. nine because so, it uses that word okay let's do it so by uh if anyone says that by faith alone the impious is justified so if anyone says that by faith alone the sinner is justified so you're saying if i were to do a conference and I, and I preach, actually I did this, so my sermon, when I preach on justification by faith alone, I preach that over, preach that at Forest and Grove Church, I've preached that at Cornerstone Family Church down in Byron, I've preached that here at Redeemer, I've preached it in students. You are justified, declared right, by faith alone, according to Roman Catholic theologians, and the Pope, and all within their system, I would be, I'm damned to hell, if I believe that. That's correct. And further, uh, in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate. That word cooperate is important mm. because it says God does some and we do a little bit more. That's called working together yeah, with God. Yeah, that's cooperation. That's synergism. Yep. In order to the obtaining of the grace of justification, that is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will. Mm. Let him be so, enough. Yeah, okay. So so the, the act of salvation is a cooperation with God's grace, which comes through the sacraments in the mm-hmm. Roman Catholic Church. So the sacraments are kind of like a vending machine. You do the sacraments, you get God's grace, right? So if I'm if I'm walking in cooperation with the sacraments and the Roman Catholic Church, doing my part, the sacraments doing their part, then you'll be saved. Is is somewhat what they well, hopefully, because you have no real basis. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Yep. And if I hopefully, and if not, if I'm unsure, I can't cry out to god for help right away i need to go through a different mediator mm-hmm. right i have to go through a priest who then goes to mary right because mary he's, she's so full of grace she's sweet she's a mom she's the mother of jesus of and course. a virgin she's still a virgin yep. i think yeah so even though jesus had brothers um <laughs> what? yeah so can you give me one sentence maybe to sum up that point just the through faith alone 
or the what does the Catholic Church believe? We come to God through. Yeah, so it's it's not by faith alone. That that would be anathema to them. Right. It's faith plus the cooperation with your human will, your choice, um, and the sacraments. Um, pretty much, I, I mean, it was a long quote, so I hope I think I'm getting at the gist of it though. It's cooperation. You do some. God does some. Right. It's not merely faith. Yep. Uh, and that actually leads us to the next one, which is uh, Canons five and Canon nine. Talk about how we are, t- how we have a free will and how we cooperate with. God's and these are grace. these are the canons of Trent. These are the canons of Trent, not the this was canons the, of Jacobus Arminius. Yeah. So this was the the response to the Reformation. Mm-hmm. This was their kind of doubling down. This yep. is this is actually called the Catholic Reformation. Okay. So what do they say in this? So statement? Canon Five says this: If anyone says that since Adam sinned, the free will of man is lost and extinguished. Dot 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 or reintroduced into the church by Satan, let him be anathema. Okay, let's let's pause there. So, as as Protestant Christians, we would say that at the fall, Adam's sin was imputed. That means credited to our account. And that at the, the, the guilt and shame and misery and corruption of sin is also imputed to us as well. So that our minds, our hearts, that is our wills, our affections and our wills, are now corrupted. Our nature, our very nature, is corrupted. So we have free choice. We have, uh, we have free choice. We are responsible for our sins, but we do not have free will, because all of our choices are based on our nature. But the Roman Catholic Church is obviously denying that. Let's read that sentence right. again. If anyone says that since Adam's sin, the free will of man is lost and extinguished, let him be damned. So I'm going to say actually, let's let's do a thought experiment here. I'm going to pull up Redeemer church's <laughs> statement of faith um let's just see what we teach about the sin of adam here um being imputed to us is there any more of that quote well canon nine also which we just talked about i'm going to read it again because it kind of colors this in a little bit we we read this one for by uh for the last point on faith but this also applies to our will because it talks about our will in cooperation with God. It says this, If anyone says that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining the grace of justification, and here it is in a moment, and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. So again, they're claiming that it is your own will which needs to move towards God. And this is their view of cooperation, right? right. So it's 50% you, 50% God, or... Any sort of cooperation. Yeah, you said something yesterday. Even if it's ninety nine percent God and one percent you, there's still this that's is what salvation by works. Right. Yeah. It's still salvation. By so works. this is what Redeemer Church believes about mankind. Here it says we believe that God created mankind, male and female, in His own image and likeness, free of sin, to glorify Himself and enjoy His fellowship. Tempted by Satan, but in the sovereign plan of God, man freely chose to disobey God, bringing sin, death, and condemnation to all mankind. All human beings, therefore, are totally depraved by nature and by choice, alienated from God without defense or excuse, and subject to God's righteous wrath of all mankind is in desperate need of a Savior. And we get that from Romans 3.10. It says, There is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one is good, not even one. So there you have Scripture. That, that's what... What we believe and confess as a church is, is is seen as a heresy to the Roman Catholic Church. So, which is right. 
you can't you can't have both foot both feet in in, in each camp. Right. We believe in objective truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's not your truth versus my truth. There is only truth. So we see clearly that tradition takes the place of Scripture in Roman Catholic teaching. Mm-hmm. That if you believe in salvation by faith alone, you are anathema. Right. It, it cooperation salvation comes through your cooperation with the church in its sacraments. Right. It's not by Christ alone. It's not Christ's salvation for you on the cross is not sufficient to save you. You also must do your part. Secondly, sin has not corrupted mankind in their in their view, um, but that we our wills are unaffected by our sin, therefore to enable us to do good works and cooperate with grace in order to be saved. All of this is what this is not just what Roman Catholics teach. This is just the core. We're trying to get at the core points. We didn't even talk about Mass. Their view of the Mass, why it's so important, is because when they take the Mass, uh, that is the blood or the the bread of, of the Lord's Supper and the wine, that it turns into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ when you take it. So as to say that you are re-sacrificing Christ again. His initial sacrifice was not enough. Therefore, to miss Mass, to not take that sacrament, is to is to damn yourself to hell that's why it's so important there's another more abstract problem with that yeah. too that's bad enough that's sacrilege and blasphemy yeah but the other problem with that is that in taking of the sacraments the catholic church believes that you are literally receiving grace and so it's like if you have this like cup full of water then when you sin you pour a little bit of the water out and then when you take the sacraments you pour a little more water in and that's yeah. your level of righteousness mm-hmm. right that's why you can't be finally justified or or, or initially justified yeah. is because you're always working through that cup. Okay, I sinned. I pour some out. I'm going to go take some sacraments. I'm going to pour more in. That's an unbiblical yeah. view of grace. Yeah, and then in order to maybe put some people at ease, they created the doctrine of purgatory, which, you know, if you don't, if you don't do enough in this life, don't worry. You got lifetimes to be able to do that in purgatory. Mm-hmm. It's just to keep them in bondage. The, the, the goal is to not give any assurance to anyone. Because if you do that, then they will live licentious lives. That's kind of their their idea. And so you the whole goal is to keep you unsure about your salvation so that you keep coming back for, to the church for more, taking the sacraments, doing penance, all those things. You know right? what I just thought of? Yeah. It's kind of like Pfizer, how they're talking about directed evolution and creating another COVID virus mm-hmm. just so they can sell more vaccines. It's kind of the it's same the Catholic idea. Catholic church. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, in a way. And it's really sad, right? And people are stuck in that. Um, so... Let's compare this. What does the Bible teach then? Let's just go really clear. What was the Reformers' response to Roman Catholic doctrine? I believe there's five points here, and we could go through them pretty quick. Um, What do Christians believe? What do evangelical Christians believe, um, Protestant Christians believe, in response to Roman Catholic doctrine? Yep. So we affirm, when we talk about tradition and scripture butting heads, the Reformers, we, biblical Christianity, ancient Christianity, the original church. Mm Mm-hmm. The true affirmed, church. Uh, yeah. The true church affirms scripture alone, that we stand on the foundation of scripture alone so as our sole rule of authority. Sola scriptura, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So not scripture and tradition. Right. Okay. So does that mean that as Christians we um, – so what takes priority then? I guess that's the first question. Well, Colin. you had a good way of describing this the other day as well, is that the master is scripture and the servant is traditions. And so things like – like books of people that we we appreciate them writing things that have written in the past, or uh, the catechisms. We should talk more about that. Good mm-hmm. catechisms, not the fake 
bad catechisms of the Catholic Church. Yeah. But we have Scripture as the master who guides and directs all things, and these traditions, these things come under and, and serve the Scriptures. It's yeah. more of like a like a complement to the Scriptures rather than the actual substance. Yeah, and so the Scriptures actually scrutinize our confessions, our creeds, and our catechisms so that if those things don't align with Scripture, then we throw them out. Right. We burn them, right? <laughs> right? But the, the point is, is that Scripture is our authority. It is verbum Deo. It is the voice of God. It is the very words of God. All Scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired. It is infallible, right? The Pope isn't infallible. He is a fallen human being. He is He's a sinner. He's a wicked sinner, just like me and you, who needs Christ Jesus's uh, uh, life and death to be applied to his account. And his good works are but filthy rags, the Bible says, um, in the eyes of a holy God. And so, and so uh, Scripture is the authority. It, it stands above all. But that does not mean, as Christians, that we hate or throw out all traditions. Right. We all have a tradition. We all come from a different background. Even Redeemer Church, yes, we are coming up on our 20-year anniversary, but before that, even the inception, someone thought to plant Redeemer Church, and that someone was had the gospel shared with them, <laughs> and that person who shared the gospel with them, it, it goes all the way back to yeah. to the early church. We're all a part of a tradition, whether you're non-denominational or not. You still come from somewhere, right? Sure. And we're so thankful for that. We have two thousand years of church history that God has been preserving His church. We're not going to be so prideful to say, oh, we don't need those ancient creeds and confessions. Right. No, they help us. They can help us. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, my favorite, the 1689 London Baptist Confession, the Baptist Confession, our statement of faith. These things are helpful, not coming above Scripture, but serving us and being like in a bowling alley when you're going bowling. You need some guardrails. Yeah, That's I what, do for sure. Yeah, because we're fallen sinful people. We may have bad interpretations, and so they keep us. Um, with some authority, they keep us from falling into false teaching and false doctrine. That's good. That's good. Second point. So, Scripture alone. Now we believe that we're saved by grace alone. That's right. So, well, well, let's do. Yeah, yeah. Christ, well, let's do Christ alone. Yeah, let's talk Christ about alone. that. Let's go back to justification yeah. and sanctification real quick. So okay. we're going to talk about Christ alone, and we believe as the true church, and we believe as what Scripture says that we have at one time been justified through faith, so that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Romans five one. We have been justified. We believe it is a definite act of God. That's what the Westminster says. It, it is an act of God yeah. done in time, and it is an external righteousness applied to us. So it's not a process. Right. Justification is not a process. It is mm -hmm. an act. Moment, in a moment in time, God declares the sinner righteous. So you're telling me that the Bible teaches that God declares a sinner righteous even though that they still sin? That's right. How, isn't that a legal fiction? It's the gospel. <laughs> no, it is. Because it that's what the Roman Catholic Church would right, say. Right, which is why we use the point of in Christ alone. Uh, and we say that we are justified, as you said, not on the basis of the works of the sinner, we're justified on the basis of the works of Christ and on that foundation alone. Mm. So that's why we use that point in Christ alone to think about this distinction between justification and sanctification, yeah. that it is, it's Christ's work that we're justified on. Yeah. So the Roman Catholic Church would say, that doesn't make sense. How could God declare someone righteous who actually isn't inherently righteous? Which is why they say you must actually have to do all these works, sanctification. Right. 
But Luther comes on and he says, no, simul uh, et justus peccator mm-hmm. is the Latin, all right? I'm quoting Latin here for all my Emmaus friends, right? So simul, simul et... Simul justus et peccator. Yeah, there you go. And I have it tattooed on my body. That that would be... That's, that's got to be anathema. Do you do? I don't, yeah, I do. I know. I'm pretty it, sure that would be and, anathema. And that, yeah. It was Luther's um, a statement in order to explain justification. It, it, it what says does it mean? so simul simultaneously, Hustus, just or righteous, and et peccator, which is sinner. So, as Christians, we are simultaneously righteous and sinners, sinners and saints. That is that is the paradigm by which we live as Christians. That in the moment, at the very moment that you trust in Jesus Christ, He declares you righteous in His eyes, not on the grounds of your obedience but on the grounds of christ you are dressed in his robes of righteousness and before the court so you're standing in the courtroom you're a sinner you've broken all you've you're a criminal you've broken all of these laws and the judge is about to slam down the gavel to say guilty but then his son walks in and his son is perfect he's never broken any law he's he's been a perfect uh citizen right in fact, he's not only not broken any law, he's been the, the most charitable. He's done the most charity work. He's, he's loved the most. He's loved the best. He's done all these good things. He's the model citizen. No one has ever been like him. And he comes in and he says, Father, you're the judge. I, I want to take this man's place. So his sins, his crimes can be placed upon me. And here's my robes of perfect righteousness and everything. I'm going to place it on him. So that the sinner goes scot-free and I'm going to take his punishment for him. That is how the judge could say, I declare Christ guilty, and I declare that sinner, who's not a sinner anymore, he's dressed in Jesus' righteousness, he is innocent, he is free, he could go. Amen. That's a sweet doctrine. So, yes, we're still sinners, but we are declared righteous. We have been justified by Jesus Christ. This is the heart of the gospel. It is, Luther, or uh, Calvin said, this is the hinge of the whole entire Christian system. You lose this, you lose Christianity. It's that important. Mm. Um, so, so JT, does that then mean that once I'm justified, I can live however I want? No, because, and this is, this is the Roman Catholic Church's concern. No, because we believe that not only in Christ for pardon, justification, but we also believe in Christ for power. Christ mm. for me and Christ in me. The Holy Spirit indwells us and changes us and sanctifies us in this ongoing process. And so we now love to do good works. We want to obey the law, not not to obey, not to merit justification, not to merit salvation, but because we are saved. Right? So the difference is we have been saved. We have assurance now because of what Christ has done for me and our union with him. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. And all that is Christ becomes ours and all that is ours becomes Christ and and it's that perfect union. And now be, now we live in light of that. We're sons. We're daughters of the king. We've been adopted into his family. Not on the grounds of our merit, but on the grounds of Christ's righteousness for us. This is this is the good news of the gospel. Pastor John gets up and preaches. He says, repent and believe. Believe in, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. This is why Roman Catholic doctrine is damning. Like This isn't a game. I don't care how sincere people are. If they believe... That they have any 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 part of their salvation has to do with their works at any point. Paul in Galatians says, anathema. <laughs> you it's a, you're adding to the gospel. Either Christ is an all-sufficient Savior, 
or he's not a savior at all. Hmm. All or nothing. So then the question is, how can we receive this Christ? And the Catholic Church, as we discussed, says faith plus the sacraments, mm-hmm. be baptized, take the Mass, mm-hmm. and take the Eucharist, and, and all of these other things that they say that you have to do. We affirm that we receive Jesus, we receive his justification, yeah. the work of Christ through faith and through faith alone. Mm. So what is faith, Colin? Faith is a, a trusting in, a clinging to, and a holding fast to Jesus Christ as our only hope because mm-hmm. he is. Mm-hmm. So in, in uh, uh, the London Baptist Confession of Faith and in the Baptist Catechism, they define faith in three ways, right? Mm-hmm. Cat with a K. Yep. You know the first one. The first one is knowledge. So we must we must know about Jesus, about mm-hmm. we, about what the scriptures say that He is. We got to know the good news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the second one is assent, right? Yeah. It so says we, agree, we agree. We intellectually agree to that mm-hmm. knowledge, that truth, mm-hmm. which should be done. And most people get to that point. Mm-hmm. A lot that's of a nom- that's a nominal Christian right there. Right. But then the last part is trust, it's which the is most important. Which is the what changes from from a nominal Christian to actually believing in Jesus and his work being effectually credited to you yep. so that you might be justified. Yeah, so you use specific language. You said trust is receiving Christ. It's the, it's the open hand that receives, right. right? It's resting in Christ. It's leaning on Christ. It's clinging to Christ. It's, it's so hard to it's describe. It's looking to Christ. But this is how I'm using language that the Bible uses. Right. Remember in, in Numbers, uh, the, the people complain and, and God sends fiery serpents. Remember the story? Mm-hmm. And these, these poisonous serpents are biting the Israelites and they're crying out to Moses, Moses, cry out to God for us, right? Moses is a mediator. And so God says, all right, I want you to put a bronze serpent on a pole mm-hmm. and everyone who looks upon the bronze serpent will be saved, will, will be healed. And so this is faith. Faith is the simple looking to that bronze serpent. So he put up on the pole and everyone that just a simple look, it's not a work. It's just, it's just looking to Christ will be saved. That's all that is. It's, it's saying he is, he is, he alone is my salvation. So faith is an instrument. It's, it's the rope that attaches us to Christ. It's, it's the channel by which we are, uh, all the blessings of Christ come to us. It's not a work. It, it's We're passive, actually. <laughs> right. Faith is passive. It's resting. It's receiving. It's leaning. It's accepting. So that's the difference um, between the Roman Catholic system and Protestant doctrine. Yeah. It's good. And then the last one, we would, or, or another we would affirm, is that we are saved by grace alone. And mm-hmm. so we've, we've got scripture. We've got... In the work of Christ, we've got we receive that work by faith, and it is by grace alone that we're saved. Yeah. The Catholic Church says, can, "You can I go back though?" Yeah, because a, Ro- a Roman Catholic, a smart Roman Catholic, would say, well, "Well, actually, the only place talking about faith alone, the only place Scripture talks about and actually mentions faith alone, is that in James two when it says, uh, the faith that is not alone is dead,' <laughs> and they'll use that to say, see, our system is right.'" But we have to understand what, what James is talking about because we read in Galatians 2 that no one is justified by works of the law, right? right. And in Galatians, he talks about it's by faith alone, not by works. But James is saying that how do we know one's faith is saving faith? What's evidence of that? The evidence of saving faith is that it produces fruit, right? Right? Yeah. Abraham demonstrated that he had true saving faith when he obeyed God. But it was not that obedience which justified him. Yeah, so his obedience justified the fact that he had faith, not mm-hmm. justified him before God. Right, right. <laughs> so that, that's the simple answer right there. Yeah, that's so, really good. But people get hung up on that. So that's good. grace alone. So yeah, let's go to grace alone. So the Catholic Church says because you have a free will, you are to go to 
God, you are well. What they say actually is it's twofold. Mm -hmm. They say you because you have a free will, you have to obey all of God's commands, which is mm -hmm. why they say you have to do good works. Mm -hmm. They also say that you have to come to God in order to receive His grace, which mm -hmm. really all of it, it's not grace at all. Mm -hmm. It's just. It's cooperation. It's good works dressed it's, up in it, Christian it, clothes. It, it, it's synergism. So we believe in monergism. Monergism, mono, means one. So God is the saving agent in salvation right. from beginning to end. Um, we do have a response, but that's wrought by the Holy Spirit. And so in our real-time experience, yes, it may seem like we're choosing God, but all along it's God that's bringing us to that, that moment, drawing us to him, the Holy Spirit giving us that conviction, the Holy Spirit changing our mind to actually do that, right? But Roman Catholic doctrine and other Protestants or uh, people in within Christianity hold to synergism. It's this view of cooperation. And really it just undermines the gospel that, that you do some part. God, God gives you some grace, but you got to help do the rest, right? Yeah. And this goes back to, is Jesus a all-sufficient Savior or is he not? Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. What does Ephesians 2, 8 says? It says, we have been saved by grace. It is a gift. It is not your own doing. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. so clear. It is so clear. It is a gift. It has to be because... We're completely hostile and condemned before God. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Only God could raise the dead, right? So if I have a dead person laying right in front of me, and he's just laying there, and I have a pill, and the pill says, take this, or it says life on it, and they have to, they have to take it in order to live, and I were to put that pill on that dead man's chest and put it there. Take it, man. Come yeah. on. It doesn't matter how much I say, come on, you can do it. You can do it, man. You're, you're just me like, dude, you're weird. He's dead. He's dead. Unless the Holy Spirit does a miracle. And that is basic Christian doctrine. Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, born from heaven, born from above. Did you contribute to your own birth, JT? I did nothing. I did not. My conception, <laughs> from conception all the way through, I didn't contribute at all. That's why Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Amen. We've exhausted this. But, and we haven't even talked about Mariology. And the prayer of the saints, multiple mediators, which we don't need to do that. Let's just look at this briefly. Let's look at one thing briefly. Okay? <laughs> Go there's ahead. A, there's a fifth solo that is to the glory of God alone. Yep, that's it's right. Soli Deo Gloria yep. in the Latin. To mm -hmm. the glory of God alone. That all, all of salvation mm -hmm. is to the glory of God alone. Mm -hmm. and why? We, we have this as the fifth doctrine because logically, if it, if it is God, what you were just talking about, if it is God who is justifying us, mm -hmm. if it's God's work, if it's him who is sanctifying us, if it's him who is, is, is awakening us to himself, if it's him who puts that pill in our mouth, then he should receive all glory yep. for salvation. He gets all the praise. Right? This goes back to the garden too. This goes back to the serpent on the tree trying to lie about what God had said and trying mm -hmm. to steal God's glory from him. The, mm -hmm. the deceiver has been doing this since the beginning. Mm -hmm. He did it to Eve and he does it to us today, trying to steal God's glory. And that's what Roman Catholicism does, is it attempts to steal God's glory, mm -hmm. usurp what they belongs to They think that they're doing it for God's glory. Right. I'll give them that. But well, maybe I, not. There might I, be yeah, some I don't know that are not. I think yeah. there are some ca Catholics who are genuine, but I think a lot of Catholic theologians know very well with they the know the issues they know they they would say they know all the arguments i just gave all of them that's why they're culpable that's why they're responsible and i'm i'm very scared for their souls and their salvation absolutely yeah but it's all for god's glory and so if there's any portion of our salvation that belongs to us it's stealing glory from god right and so really 
if tradition is over scripture, then the church gets glory. Man gets the glory. Church. Yep, the false church, right? So let's get really practical then. So just really quick, are Catholics saved? Really quick, it's quick. To affirm the Catholic doctrine, no. Yeah, if you say this is what I believe. Right. What we just explained, those those doctrines. The Catholic ones, you yep. cannot be saved. Amen. Yep. It is not the gospel. That's and what Paul, we read Galatians 1. He's saying to those Judaizers, he's saying, if you are requiring circumcision in order to be a part of God's people, you are anathema. Paul, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that. <laughs> so, yes. There's a part in Pilgrim's Progress where these guys where these guys don't go through the door mm. to come into the road which leads to they hop eternal over life. The fence. They jump over the fence. That's what Catholicism is doing. And no, whoever does not enter through the door, Jesus is the door to the sheep. Mm-hmm. And whoever does not enter through the door will not enter the kingdom That's of heaven. That's why the word alone is so important. Christ alone. Right. Faith alone. Grace alone. Scripture alone. Right? <laughs> All these things. Uh, glory of God alone. So what about nominal Catholics? Nominal Catholics still, are, I would say, are not saved because they need to know the gospel as well. Thank God that they don't affirm Catholic doctrine because mm-hmm. it's so deceptive and blinding mm-hmm. and it, it's lying to you. But they still need to know the true gospel, which is that they are saved on the basis of Jesus Christ alone. We could still say the same things. It's to just a nominal not, Christian, right? right. Yeah. yeah, we could say it to a nominal Catholic, nominal Christian. They're in the same place. Yeah. They're dead in their sin, but they they still need the gospel. But but thankful to, we're thankful to God that they don't affirm Catholic doctrine because yeah. it's deceptive. Now, now in a Catholic church, you're going to hear the reading of the Old Testament. You're going to re- hear reading of the New Testament, these things. And I, I do believe that there are people that have a simple trust in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. that are unaware of all these doctrines that are genuine Christians. Agreed. And, and I fear for their soul because they're in, they're in a not a good environment for a new Christian, right? Um, you don't take a newborn baby and you put them out in the cold, right? That would be a very dangerous environment for the newborn, right? And in the same way with these infant Christians that get saved in a Roman... They, they, they'll read Galatians. Yeah. They'll read Romans. They'll read... John 3.16. Some people could hear that and get saved. I believe that because God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. He sovereignly saves whoever he wants and whoever he wills through his word. But you wouldn't put a baby out in the cold. That's not a good environment. They could die. They could starve. And so when it comes to people in the Roman Catholic Church that maybe are nominal, maybe some of your friends that are very sincere, this is why we need to do everything we can to at least say, hey, this is what your priests believe. This is what the Roman Catholic Church believes. Do you know that? And this is what the Bible teaches. You know, the five solas. Just walk them right through it. Show them from Scripture. And say, hey, I, I want you to hear the truth. Mm-hmm. I want you to be in a place where you will thrive, that you will flourish. Come to my church. Well, I've been doing this for so long. Jesus said, pick up your cross. Whoever is not ready to leave mother and father is not willing to follow me. There is a cost. There is a cost of following Jesus. But we do this tenderly. We do this gently. We do this in love because we want them to grow. We want them to know Jesus Christ, right? So if you're in a discussion with maybe a more devoted Catholic, what what would be your approach, Colin? How would you approach him? Let's just say I'm the Roman Catholic. Hmm. And I say, yeah, I I affirm that we need to go to Mass and uh, do the sacraments in order to be saved. I don't believe that we're saved by faith alone. How would you maybe go about sharing the gospel with me? There's a lot there. I would approach it in a... In a, with a disposition of gentleness, just as we read in Second Timothy last night, as we talked about earlier, gentleness, kindness, and patience. That's what the Lord's servant is called to. Mm-hmm. So that's my disposition. Mm-hmm. And I would just bring to them, like, friend, I, I want you to know the same Jesus that I know. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. Because I know what you believe, I know that you are working and mm-hmm. you are striving constantly. Mm-hmm. And your conscience is 
is beating you. The Moses, the law is just beating. No, the you. church gives me assurance. I have, I have assurance. You know, you probably start giving me the law then. <laughs> yeah, well, I would start opening the Bible and I'd be like, okay, tell me the last time you lied. Tell me the last time that you. Oh, this week. You know. Yep. So you ever so dishonor you would... your parents? Yes, I would show. Yes, yeah, so yeah. go to the Ten Commandments. This is a good strategy. Go to the Ten Commandments and show them the law. Say, this is what God expects of you. Mm-hmm. And then go to the New Testament and say, God says that there is no other way to him except through Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and through him alone. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life mm-hmm. in the book of John. Mm-hmm. That means not a way, a truth, and a life, mm-hmm. but the. Mm-hmm. And so if you've sinned against God and you've broken these commandments, what you are heading to is not purgatory. It's eternal conscious torment and hell. Mm-hmm. And I, I desire for you to know Jesus, the same mm-hmm. Jesus that I know, and for you to be justified freely in his grace. Yeah. Not for you to be beaten around by the law still. The law is there to show you your sin, not as a means for you to live before the face of God yeah. by the law. So uh, a, a practicing Catholic may be resting their assurance on the church's doctrine or mm-hmm. on the sacraments or the things that they do. So as an evangelist, what I'm trying to do is trying to strip them of all the assurance in those things, right? I want to make sure that they know that God's standard in his law is that they be that they obey God's law, uh, peep, perfectly, entirely, exactly, and perpetually. Mm. That's God's standard. If your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, um, you will be saved. He says that, therefore, just as my Father in heaven is perfect, you must be perfect. Matthew 5, 48. Um, Galatians 3, 10 through 12. Um, whoever is, who, is, uh, who fails the law in one point, or no, James 2, 10. If you've broken the law in one point, you're guilty of all of it. Galatians talks about being under under the curse of the law. That if you are obligated to obey the law for your salvation, you have to obey all of it. Is the idea? But we're all under a curse, and so I would I would take them through the Ten Commandments. You're right, and I would I would say like on the grounds of your good works, you will not be saved. Right. Doesn't matter how many times you go to mass. Stop looking to mass. Look to Jesus Christ because that's idolatry. If you're looking to anything else other than Christ, then it's idolatry. He's your great high priest. If you're relying on your priest to go to, to, to bring your prayers to the Lord, then you're not relying on Jesus Christ. You're not trusting in Jesus Christ. You're trusting in Christ and a priest. Mm-hmm. God will not be divided in that way. He wants all of you. He's a whole Savior. He's an all-sufficient Savior. Um, and so on these points of grace, <laughs> on these points of faith alone, on, of justification, going to Romans chapter 3, um, that's where I would probably aim to share the gospel with my Roman Catholic brothers. Um, because a lot of them, yeah, they, they feel guilty and shame, and they're hoping that they do an, uh, just good enough to, mm-hmm. to, to merit God's love and favor. And just to set them free from that, oh, man, come to Jesus. All who Freedom, are weary. Christ has set us yeah, free. Therefore, right. do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's right. And so some resources I would just point you towards. There's... There's a book by R.C. Sproul. It says, "Are we?" To, I think it's, "Are we together?" And it's about Roman Catholic doctrine. There's a book by Dr. James White. It's on the Roman Catholic controversy. Are evangelicals and Catholics together? Kind of breaks that down. Then there's a free. There's free lectures by R.C. Sproul on Ligonier. You could get the app Ligonier, and you go to teaching series, and he's got free lectures on Roman Catholic doctrine. And so educate yourself. Um, Can I suggest a resource too? Yeah, go ahead. You said this one earlier, but. Go to the book of Galatians. Yep. Read the book of Galatians. That was one of the main things that God used to 
uh, liberate Martin Luther and to convince him of the of That's a scripture. Great point. Yep. And that is exactly what Paul was dealing with in the Galatian church. It wasn't called Catholicism. It was this form of Judaism that had arisen. But it the point the of Galatians. Yeah. The point of Galatians is nothing but the gospel is the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. And mm-hmm. we forget it so often. That's why we have to be careful of of not believing those things ourselves, that we must cling to the gospel and Christ alone. But yeah, go read the book of Galatians yep. for more. On that. And a biography that I, I think would be really helpful to understand the context of Roman Catholicism is, um, well, two. There's Here I Stand by Roland Baton. It's by, a big one. Yeah, it's about 300 pages, but it's on Martin Luther. It's a really great read, Here I Stand. And then there is on Ligonier, another podcast. It's called Luther in Real Time. That's good. And it takes you through the whole story of Luther's experience in the Roman Catholic Church. It's got sound effects. It's got voiceovers. It's free. It's It's on Spotify too. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. Just listen to that and you'll get an understanding of why why this is so important. So, all right. Well, this has been a long, thank you so much for listening, but I hope that we brought clarity, understanding, um, charity. We love we love the Rome, we love the Roman Catholics that we do know, that we know. We want them to know Jesus Christ. Um, we don't look down on them. We don't think that we're better. Um, we just want them to know Jesus Christ. To the Roman Catholic theologians that might be listening to this or devout Roman Catholics that know these doctrines and still are holding to them, I I plead with you to repent, turn from your sin, trust in Jesus Christ, and be saved. Be set free. It's Christ alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. May that be your only hope. So thanks so much for listening. Join us next month, Defending the Faith Nights. Um, we'll be looking at a false cult, I believe. So, yep, I'm going to be doing be that there. one. Yep. So, anyways, I've been, I've been to the temple. I've been to, I, I've been to the, the Holy Land of this cult. Yeah, I've actually been inside of the temple. Anyways, can't wait. A little sneak peek there. But thanks so much for listening. I hope that you were encouraged by this.